In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Welcome one, welcome all. This is In the Lab. I'm Drew Doherty, and we've got a fun one today. It's action-packed, jam-packed, because we got a lot of people to talk with. Will Anderson Jr., the defensive end, he gets weird with me. Right off the bat, I'm going to hit him with some weird ones. But before we get into that, I want to make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you make sure and get it on a regular basis and you get those notifications because we want you listening and we want you uh, taking part. So subscribe. Hey, while you're there, leave a review, rate us, and send questions on Twitter at Doherty Drew, at J. Harris Football. We love hearing from you. But we're going to talk to Will. We're also going to hook up with John Harris to our weekly In the Lab. Then going to go get some Denver insight. For that, we're going to call upon a guy who used to play for the Broncos as well as for the Texans. His name's Nick Ferguson, defensive back, spent a decade in the NFL from 2000 through 2009. And after we talk with Nick, going to chit-chat with Phil Milani. He works for the Denver Broncos, Broncos TV, does a lot of what similar stuff that I do. So he's a perfect guy to chit-chat with about what's going on in Denver. But first up, Will Anderson Jr., rookie defensive end. It's my first time to interview him since I was standing next to him and next to, on the other side of me, C.J. Stroud in Kansas City moments after those two picked second and third overall. So with all that in mind, naturally, here was my first question out of the gate. Will Anderson Jr., let's get serious or let's not get serious. You got a barbell, 45 pounds. How many toddlers, if they were to hold on to that barbell, do you think you could bench press? Are we talking about bench press? I'd even bench at the combine. Probably. And toddlers weigh what, 25 pounds roughly? I would probably say three on each side. What's that? I bet you could do more than that, you think? So six six toddlers with the barbell. Mm Mm-hmm. You'd crack out about 30 reps with those? Oh, I don't know about 30. <laughs> Probably 10. <laughs> Speaking of weightlifting, what's your favorite What's your favorite exercise to do in the gym with that one? I'm a big lower body guy, so, like, I like squats. Yeah. I really do, like, enjoy, like, power clean, hand clean, things like that, like, just things that, like, just keep my body moving, like my lower body, of course, and just keep it as explosive as possible. I find those things, you know, more fun to do than upper body. What are you on the inside, maybe? When they say, okay, it's time to do this one, you're like, uh, I'd rather not. I'm going to do it, but I'd rather do something different. I would say bench for sure. Bench for sure. I got you. It's been like that since high school. I got you. There's, very, there's two clear camps when it comes to when I've, I've asked players this question. Some of them love bench. Some of them love squat. It's, it's like one or the other. So complete this sentence. When blank talks, I am listening. When my mom talks, I'm listening. Yeah? When's the last time you talked with her? Yesterday, right yeah. before she left, um, her and my dad went back home. Um, yeah, it was a good time. She helped me out with an event I had here. Her and my dad did. And, of course, they came down for the game. But, you know, she's always just trying to keep me involved in the community, help me out in any way I possible, you know, just to always remember where I came from and everything like that. So she's just been a phenomenal mom. Where would we be without our mothers? That's, uh, that's a good one. Where would we be without our sisters? I got two sisters. You've got some sisters. <laughs> What's something that your sisters – remind you of constantly that they're better at it than you are? Probably just being annoying. <laughs> just being annoying. Just you mean you're more annoying than they are or they're more no, annoying? No, they're, they're more annoying than me. <laughs> they're just like, 
little hyenas. Like, there's so many of them. You know how hyenas, like, they're always messing with lions. Like, yes. they just don't stop. Like, they're always around. That's how my sisters are. So you're the lion and they're the hyenas, huh? Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. okay. Well, with that in mind, you love the hyenas, your sisters. Which teammate would you never let date one of your sisters? I would probably say, I don't know. That's a good question. It's kind of different because it's like everybody here is kind of like married, have kids and yeah. stuff like that. But I was in college, I almost definitely say Brian Branch. <laughs> okay. He plays for the Lions. No, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. how come? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's a good answer. And that's all we got to say. Okay, we just brought up lions. We just brought up hyenas. Let's say you can have any animal mm -hmm. in the wild. It can be your pet. It's never going to go crazy. Like, it's never going to, the tiger doesn't go tight. Never going to go crazy. You don't have to worry about picking up its poop. What would you want as a pet? Any animal, all time. Any animal, all time. Ooh, that's a good question. I would probably say a wild dog. Yeah? Yeah. They're, they're like, they're very instinctive. Like, I watch a lot of Animal Planet, and they're really smart dogs. Mm -hmm. And I think if we, like, get some human intelligence and, like, teach them, like, you know, a little bit of obedience and stuff like that, they would be really good dogs. Like have. super dogs, yeah. Yeah, like super dogs, yeah. I got you. Do you have dogs yourself? Yeah, I have a whole bunch of dogs. Really? What types? Uh, XO uh, bullies. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, How many yeah. you got? Seven. You have seven dogs? <laughs> do they walk you or do you walk them? <laughs> they walk me. Yeah. But they walk my dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to be careful, like, getting your arm ripped out of socket? Yeah, because they just pull. Like, they're yeah. very strong, big, and they're still puppies right now. So, like, it's crazy how big they're going to be. Yeah. Are they snuggly? Yeah, they're really good, like. Like, they're not, like, aggressive at all, like, good with children, everything, like, good with being in the house, very smart dogs, very, like, loving, and, like, they just want to be under you all the time. They're just, like, big babies. Yeah. Those are, like, the best type of dogs. Yeah. Like, just hanging around you on the couch, all that stuff. Okay, sometimes you wave your finger on the field after a big play. What's the inspiration? Because there's a lot of different people that have done that in the past. Where would you get your inspiration for that one? I don't know. I didn't really get it from nobody. I think it's just... It was just like already like like just a part of my game. Like I don't know. Like I just started doing it in college. Yep. Like the first time my freshman year something happened, I just did it and I just stuck with it and I just do it all the time. But like, yeah, it was just natural. Yeah, being a Houstonian, we've seen Dikembe Mutombo do that on the court. We saw JJ do it on the football field. It's it's, it's fun to see that. We're gonna speak this into existence. So last week, sitting in that chair across mm -hmm. from me was Blake Cashman. He goes out. He has 19 tackles. Okay. Beating. The week before, Noah Brown. 150 plus just rips up the Bengals. So we're speaking things into existence. You're going to have a monster game. You are going to score a touchdown this week. When you score, how will you celebrate, Will Anderson? Ooh, I like that. In my head, I want to do a backflip. But physically, I cannot do a backflip. <laughs> so <laughs> I probably just celebrate with my teammates and yeah. probably spike the ball. Good spike? Yeah. Okay. So when you saw Tyreek Hill do the backflip and get the phone and do the backflip, were you just like that? That was, was crazy. Like, that was insane. Yeah. As, like just in my head, like I'm like, dang, I wish I could do that. Pads and a helmet on, he's doing that. That's just in crazy. general, he's doing that, and with pads and a helmet. Who's been the most challenging offensive lineman you've ever faced? NFL, college, anywhere. I would say my freshman year in Notre Dame, like um, those guys, they were good. I think they were all like, age really doesn't have anything. They were just very like veterans. Like they were like 23 and up, mm -hmm. I want to say. And I think they had stayed just to see if they could go to the national championship. But they were really good. Like, as a unit, like, we was on a roll that year of having sacks, like, every game. And we only had one sack that game. <laughs> so, like, that's that's one Olana I always remember, like, dang, they were tough to beat. So, yeah, I would say them. Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, they're sticking out to you. Before you go to bed at night, what's the very last thing you do before your head hits the pillow? 
before I go to bed at night. I was just kind of like a cliche answer because I have a, like a set routine. I like watch film right before I go to bed. And I kind of like, it just makes me like keep thinking about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. That or I'm scared of the dark. So right. after my film, I turn my thing on, I hit my nightlight. Okay. And I turn the brightness down on my TV. Okay. And I turn on Hulu and I turn on like The Simpsons or Family Guy. I got to have a little bit of noise. So that's kind of really what I do because, yeah, I got to have some noise. And I got to have a little bit of light in my room. Can't do pitch dark. That's fascinating. You say The Simpsons. Is it possible, if you like The Simpsons, is it really possible to have a favorite Simpsons character or is it like five favorite Simpsons characters? It's just, I'm not really like uh, into it like that. It's gotcha, just something gotcha, gotcha. that I just, just turn on. It's just something that's what you have. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. What are you into? I like Animal Planet, so like yeah. it, I really just like like Nat Geo Wild stuff like that. Um, like Netflix has this thing like called like seventy two like deadly animals or something like that that I always watch and it's very fascinating. So it's cool. What's the one animal you never want to be near ever? A Komodo dragon, like a lion did it is, but like a Komodo dragon, like they're crazy. Like and they have vi like venom, like when they bite you, like it's crazy. Yeah. Do you envy? Or do you feel sad for that he's missing out or she's missing out the bear that goes into hibernation? I kind of envy because it's like you get to sleep. Like you just get to rest. Yeah. I don't got to worry about what the, what's going on in the world. You fool. You don't ate a good meal. <laughs> you don't ate so much. You don't even got to worry about waking up to go get nothing to eat. So I, I kind of like, I like that a little bit. Hibernation. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. Christmas is coming. Mm-hmm. So how do you do your Christmas shopping? Do you go to stores? Do you have someone help you? Do you go online? Is it a combo of all? How do you do your Christmas shopping? I kind of order online sometimes, or I go in stores. So we have a big family, so we do Secret Santa. Yeah. So everybody don't have to get a gift. We just choose one, and everybody put their list in, and I just try to either go online or go in store to go find something. Does that make it easier? Is it tough to uh, decide on, oh, I got to get this from my, you know, like, do you have somebody that's really hard to shop for in particular? I would say all of them. All of them? They're all, like, very indecisive what they want. They change their gifts up, like, each time. Yep. They don't ever just stick to, like, what they put in the group chat at first. Oh, Mom, Dad, and the hyenas. Awesome. <laughs> Will Anderson, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck to you. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. Good stuff from Will Anderson Jr. Having a fun rookie season, and we appreciate his time. We appreciate his willingness to just get weird and have fun like that. All right, flipping the script, it's time to go one-on-one -on -one with John Harris, my good pal. Here is our In the Lab. Darn it, John. Texans are coming off a loss. First time since October 30th. That was a Monday morning. Yesterday was a Monday morning that we woke up after a Texans loss. That's, that's high cotton if you think about it. What, what's been going on around here the last four or five years? Yeah, when you, when you think about it, this is kind of my just reaction to hearing that news. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, watching the game live, going back and, and re-watching it, um, you know, the all 22, all that kind of stuff. I, it just was frustrating because I felt like there were a lot of there were a lot of missed opportunities. I know there was a lot of talk after the game about officiating and all that. And I'll, I have said this often, and I will say it till the day I die. The officiating never cost the team the game. Never. I don't care if it's the last play. I don't care if it's first play. It doesn't matter. There are 150 plays in an NFL game, roughly, maybe a little less, but, but about that. You can overcome a bad call here, a bad call there. Now, I will not sit here and tell you the officiating was great, but the Texans, they were kind of their own worst enemy. I, I do think the Jaguars played well enough to win. I don't know if I would say, oh, yeah, the Jags were definitely the better team. 
they executed a few things a little bit better and they got off to a better start in the game than the Texans did. But I don't feel like, oh, yeah, the Jags are so much better. They're the best team in the AFC. So I don't get that. I don't get that vibe at all. Um, I think there's a, a happy median to be found between these two games. I do think they're very close. Um, but I, I still feel like the Texans in really their C minus game were that close to going to overtime. Yeah. Potentially, unless Trevor Lawrence was going to do some kind of miracle stuff at the end, which he had to tie him out, I think. You know, you get to overtime, anything happens. But, they, you know, they're that close to taking overtime, playing their C-minus game. And I think that should tell you something against the 8-3 football team. And, John, what if I told you? What if I told you? Oh, here we go. What if I told you on Sunday morning, say 11 o'clock, I came up to you, put my arm around you, and said, hey, pal, good to see you. Texans today are going to win the turnover battle. Texans mm-hmm. today are not even going to turn the ball over at all. They're going to win the turnover battle. CJ Stroud, check it out. He's going to throw two touchdowns. He's going to run for another. He's going to finish with a passer rating of 116. Mm-hmm. And based on what you'd seen from him recently, no turnovers, that high a passer rating, you win the turnover battle. What if I told you those things on Sunday morning? What if I told you? Yeah, I would have felt really good about the Texans' opportunity to go win a game, especially CJ finishing the game against the Cardinals with the three interceptions. I would have thought, okay, he's back on track. All right, here we go. What I what I didn't like on on Sunday was that there were too many too many moments of CJ having to escape early pressure and then make something happen. And and look, that's going to happen in the NFL. It happens for every quarterback. Mahomes does it all the time. Josh Allen does it all the time. Joe Burrow has to do it all the time. I mean, Burrow did it against us. You know, the 64-yarder to Jamar Chase, he's almost sacked. Should have been sacked. He gets out of it, fires a dime. Chase goes in the end zone, and the whole game changes at that point. So it happens. It just happened a little bit too much. It, but here's the flip side of that. And and this is why this was kind of a weird game, Drew. Is The flip that, side is he looked really, really good doing it. Well, I mean, yeah, he goodness did. Gracious, he was elusive. He did, and, and still and keep I know his a lot of people on the field. And a lot but of yeah, people want to say, either. a lot of people want to say, well, the offensive line just broke down. Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was the best offensive line game I've ever seen, but the offensive line, there were there were some times where CJ would move or slide up in a pocket because eventually a rusher would just try something and go high side, and he'd slide underneath it. Like to me, that's that's not that's not pressure. He's just going to an open spot where he can throw, but there was too much pressure. Yeah. So I don't ultimately think the offensive line was, you know, horrible, terrible. I thought Juice did some good things when he went in at left guard when Titus went down. In the in the second half, there were breakdowns. There were there, you know, Josh, Josh Allen had two and a half sacks, and everybody's, you know, putting him up on this pedestal of how great he was. And Josh Allen was very, very good. His rushes were excellent. I'll give you that. But two of his sacks were gimmies. One of his sacks came when he was a free rusher, and CJ tried to beat him around the side and, and couldn't. And then the other one came on a screen that was, you know, was just broken up from the beginning. And Allen gets a sack because Laramie is expecting it to be a screen so he can eventually release and go downfield. So he lets Allen go. Well, Allen gets a sack because you know CJ couldn't find Devin on the screen. So it was just kind of a weird weird day drew to your point cj threw for a lot of yards but we've seen him have better games i felt like with you know the pressures the quarterback hits in the sacks i think there were four sacks 
and you'd think, oh, O-line was bad. I didn't think the O-line was was terrible. Now, run game, not good. Run right. game was not good. That was not good. Okay, so let's fast forward to this week. Russell Wilson looks like the old Russell Wilson. 20 touchdowns, four picks, passer rating over 100. He looks good. They've won five in a row. This is a good team. This is a beatable team, but yep. this doesn't look like the guy we saw week two last year when they were, they didn't know what they had the home right. crowd in Denver chanting the play clock when it got under 10 seconds. I remember coming down from the press box late in that game and yeah. I get out of the elevators and they're pre- there. It's back. Like you can't really, you don't just get out and you're like, you have to wind your way in. And I remember hearing the, the crowd chanting the play clock thinking, why would they be doing that? Because they're only yeah. going to give the Texans the, the idea or the Texans, the memory or remind the Texans that the play clock, oh my gosh, they're doing it for their own and they're doing it sarcastically. I was, right. I was stunned by that. Russell Wilson looks good. So with all that in mind, on Monday morning, who are you going to say is the Texans cream of the crop award winner if the Texans go on and win this game? The cream of the crop. Well, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, of course. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, there, there might be some guys that pop up in the injury report. So I just want to be, you know, you, you just never know who's going to pop up in the injury report. Right. But to me, it's two players. It's John Grenard and it's Will Anderson Jr. It's those two that have got to be cream of the croppers. Look, Garrett Bowles has done a really nice job. He's gotten better and better. Garrett Bowles, to me, is the epitome of you don't give up on a guy just because the fans all want you to give up on him after a couple of years because that guy's turned into a really, really good offensive tackle. And I feel like the Broncos, the Broncos are the epitome of that this year. But Will Anderson Jr. and John Grenard, I thought strung together some good rushes. But Trevor Lawrence in that scheme for the the uh, Jaguars is one, two, three, throw. Yeah. Shotgun, catch, catch, throw. And they won with some rushes. And they they just they got there and the ball's already gone because that's the way that offense is designed. Now the Broncos offense isn't quite that way. And Russell has been known to hold the ball a little bit. So if their rushes are good, they've got to get back to Russell, but they got to finish him. We've seen Russell, you know, look, he's not the 2013 Russell Wilson, but he is Russell Wilson still, and he's smarter and he can do some things that, you know, maybe he couldn't even do before, but Sean Payton has now given him that trust. He's given him that opportunity. And so I think John Grenard and Will Anderson Jr., I've got to do a great job. Now, I bring up the injury report because, you just, I mean, Will has been on the injury report, but he's played. You know, John Grenard, I don't think has showed up on the injury report, but you just never know. But those would be the two that I would go with as my cream of the croppers uh, against the Broncos. What do you say? The cream of the crop. I think it's going to be – I think it's there's going to be a Dalton Schultz day just based off of the spinning of the wheel. Because I think, I think we're at the point now where Nico Collins and Tank Dell – no matter what, we're going to yep. have between them five big catches minimum per game. Yep. So I think it's going to be someone else as well stepping up. And we've seen Schultz do this before. We've seen him, what does he have, five touchdowns since yeah, five. What, like this, the, the win streak started? So yep. I, I kind of think uh, I kind of think it's going to be a Dalton Schultz type of day. I just, I don't know if it, it just, I kind of, it's either that and or, the combo of Singletary and Damian Pierce because Texans didn't face very good run defenses in the two games leading up to the Jacksonville game. And Jacksonville has right. a great run defense. 
and I kind of think they were able to flourish. I kind of think Singletary was able to flourish against the Bengals and then the next week get that 100-yard game because those run defenses on paper had struggled. They they really had their troubles bottling guys up. You can run on the Broncos, and yeah. if you can do that, because we, we know the explosiveness is always going to be there in the passing game, I, I think that that sets up nicely for what I think the Texans can do, and that's I think the Texans can certainly win this game. I mean, they've beaten better teams. They had a hiccup last weekend, but hey, you hit a pass to Tank Dell early on the one that the phantom illegal shift was called. And I'm with you. You know, you, you can't blame the, the refs. They didn't help. They weren't good, but you didn't lose because the refs you just didn't play a great game. And that being said, that's what's encouraged me the most is they did not play a great game. And like you said, a few more inches, they're going to overtime. You know, a few yep. more inches, that that thing sneaks over the crossbar and they're going in overtime. And I like my chances with the Texans there in overtime. So I think it's a Dalton and or running backs, cream of the crop type of day. And I think also it, 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 that's a good choice, Drew, because I think one of the other things, too, I mean, I think the Broncos have gotten some pressure from some young guys out on the edge. I don't think they're the most dynamic pass rushing team in a league, but they're they're good. And Zach Allen is going to be a problem. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. They get takeaways. But I think one of the things that can really help, especially if the run game isn't quite all that, is get the ball to your running backs. There are a number, there are a number of times. There was a handful of times in which the running backs are kind of floating out wide, just you know, on a check down route, like, hey, I'm over here on the sideline. You can throw it to me and there's nobody over here. Um, and I think you can have a few more of those that just takes the pressure off of CJ of, you know, check, 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 nothing. All right. You guys take it. I don't want to keep taking these hits. You guys take it. And all of a sudden, now you've got Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, the ball in space. You don't have to just throw screens to them. You know, their mm-hmm. checkdowns are okay. And and checkdowns to them are are good. It's one thing you and I have been talking about is getting the running backs a little bit more involved in the pass game. And maybe that's another layer of the onion to pull back is that they can be more involved in the pass game to give them another I don't know, six to eight touches of, of between them in the passing game as opposed to just pounding their head up against a brick wall like they were last week in against Jacksonville. All right, Twitter question of the day. With Andre Johnson being named a Pro Football Hall of Fame semifinalist, your favorite Andre Johnson play of all time was? I still think it's the Washington game of 2010. I mean, that was such a trudge uphill because of how bad that game started. Um, but I've always loved talking to Andre about that play because he's so matter of fact about it. And I I've, I always love talking to him about it because he's just, you know how he, you know how he speaks. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. well, that guy was in the way and I had to go up and get the ball. And that was it. I mean, it really was, but there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that went into that play when you, you know, break it down, which I've, I think you and I did that on a film room a long, yes, long time ago. We did. And there was so much to that play that kind of showed the greatness of Andre Johnson. You know, just the smarts, the route running, uh, and then the athleticism at the end to finish in a big, massive, huge spot and the Texans get that win. So the, to me, the 2010 against Washington is, is always one of my faves. Great choice. I love it. Mine is the touchdown 2009 at the uh, at the Arizona Cardinals, I was yep. up in that press box. It's up in a corner, and it was in the opposite corner of where that touchdown happened. And I don't know what it was. I think it was a a a reflection in the glass or something. But when that one defender bounced off of him and landed on his back, 
simultaneously when that happened, there was like a light shooting straight up from out of that guy, like a blue flash. <laughs> I'm not joking. Really? And I've yeah, never heard this. Like, I joke. I was like, that's uh, that must've been his soul leaving his body, but <laughs> it was just, it all kind of happened. And I was like, Holy moly. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's my favorite one. It, it, it's, there's so many you could choose from the walk-off against Jacksonville is a big one. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeremiah Bell, 2008 Miami is a massive one, man. Oh yeah, I love telling that story. I that was that was the um, Hurricane Ike year, and the uh -huh. Texans were they they were over to start the year, and I'm watching that game up in the press box, and you know I got the I got the hall pass for that day to go do my job, and so I'm, you know, it's getting late. It's just frustrating. I'm like, oh man. So I actually had stopped to talk to somebody. And I look up and it's a fourth down play. I'm like, all right, well, I'll watch this fourth down play and then I'll, I'll get out of here. And Andre goes up over Jeremiah Bell, steals the ball away from him. And I was like, okay, this is now interesting. I need to stay and watch the end of this. And thankfully I did because Matt Schaub took it in. Texans got to win. You felt the good leaving the building that day. Like, oh man, that Jeremiah Bell catch over Jeremiah. All you do is say, Oh yeah, Jeremiah Bell. Everybody remembers that catch in 2008 <laughs> against the Dolphins. That was awesome. Love it. Always love talking with you. Can't wait to see the Texans get back at it against the Denver Broncos. It's a big game. It's fun to be playing big games this late in the season. It's going to be December, John, and the Texans are squarely in the playoff hunt. I think they're going to be in the playoffs, and I love it. The football is so much fun again around here, and I love talking about fun football with you, man. Yeah, man, absolutely, Drew. Appreciate it, brother. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. And now it's time to hear from a former Texan in Nick Ferguson. Played in the NFL for a decade. Spent the last two years of his NFL career as a safety with the Texans in 08 and 09. He was a teammate of Andre Johnson's. He was a teammate of D'Amico Ryan's. He actually coached for just a teensy tiny bit out in San Francisco with Ryan's. And now he lives in Denver, covers the Broncos, a team for which he used to play. And he's got the perfect insight on this matchup. Everything going on in Houston and a whole lot more. Here is some of my conversation with Nick Ferguson. There is maybe no better person to talk to about this Denver Broncos versus Houston Texans matchup than a guy who played for both of them. He's living in the Denver area now, but he's still piped into everything going on here. Talking about longtime NFL defensive back Nick Ferguson one of my favorite Houston Texans of all time. When I joined the team and started working here in 2009, you were a safety here, DB here, and you would come out sometimes in pregame wearing a Darth Vader mask, and I like that. That was different. So, Nick, yeah. how the heck are you, my friend? I'm doing uh, well, man. I hope you guys are doing well down in Houston. I know you guys are doing well down in Houston, just kind of uh, sitting back here in Denver watching everything uh, unfold. And it's funny that you bring up uh, – the Darth Vader mask. Uh, I, I would say this, that that's when a lot of my Nick Ferguson personality that it now shines now actually started, believe it or not. So, so yeah, yeah. thank the, the Houston Texans organization for that. Yeah. We had some fun times with you. We did what's in the locker and you, you pulled out all sorts of shenanigans <laughs> and we did that. That yeah. video is floating around somewhere. I'm going to try and dig it up um, in conjunction with this, but before we get into the matchup, before we get into the coaching stuff, you're also the perfect guy to talk to about this because this morning the news comes out. One of your former teammates, Andre Johnson, a pro football hall of fame semifinalist. I'm biased. I think he should have gotten in earlier. Uh, I've written about how the 10 guys in front of him yardage wise, career receiving yardage wise 
they're all val they're all hall of famers the three who aren't should be in they will be in someday larry fitzgerald steve smith jr and reggie wayne they're all hall of famers but andre belongs with them because you look at the numbers and you dive a little deeper and he stacks up with them but in your opinion in with your facts and what you saw why is andre johnson a pro football hall of famer in your mind well, the way that he uh, approached the game, if it was one of those things, and I say it now, even when a guy is covered, he's open. And that kind of personified, you know, Andre Johnson to, to a flaw. And looking at, you know, our team and saying, okay, well, what, what was the guy that every defense is saying, well, we need to stop that guy. Andre Johnson was that wide receiver. He was wide receiver one, and mm -hmm. he made some exceptional uh, catches. Uh, obviously, those battles between uh, him and Cortland Finnegan, uh, obviously, everyone remembers those. Me being a teammate on the sideline for all of that, I yep. remember that. But just knowing that Dre was one of those silent guys. He didn't really say a lot. He just did a lot on the football field, and it was hard to stop him no matter where he was, no matter where Coach Kubiak lined him up. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I kind of point that out in this little piece I wrote. You know, all the guys in front of him, I think eight of them played with a guy who at one point they played with a hall of fame quarterback. And I think the other two played with guys who were pro bowl quarterbacks for at least four or five seasons, Matt Schaub, fine quarterback for a good chunk of, of Andre's existence here in Houston, but he only went to two pro bowls. So lots of, lots of stats behind that, but I like hearing your, your aspect on it because you had to cover him in practice or try to cover yeah. him in practice. And yeah, try, yeah, you, try you, is a much, be, much, much better word. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not denigrate. You're a great, you're a fine, fine NFL defensive back, but you like many, you had your struggles with Andre Johnson over the years. All right, let's get into this matchup because you and I had a lot of fun about nine, 10 months ago when the Broncos and the Houston Texans were in the head coaching search you had to talk me off a ledge a few times. You you would you would joke with me, but I think it's safe to say each side got the guy they wanted, wouldn't you say? D'Amico Ryan's the, the Texans and Sean Payton there with Denver. Yeah, they did. And for me, you know, being a little biased, I, I played with D'Amico and I coached mm -hmm. with him in San Francisco. I just know everything that he embodies. I know that uh, if he had came into this team, they would be great on both sides of the ball. You guys are experiencing that right now. Uh, in Houston. So I was a little biased. I was a little disappointed that the Broncos organization did not go that way, but both teams got the guys that they wanted to. And when you look at the fact that D'Amico was drafted in Houston, seldom do we see former players become head coaches, but yeah. even those numbers are lower. A guy was drafted going back to the team that drafted him and now he's leading them. So great job by the Texas organization being able to scoop D'Amico up, and then also you look at here in Denver with Sean Payton. The Broncos were looking to turn the page and away from Nathaniel Hackett, and they needed someone who can kind of get Russell Wilson back on track and, more importantly, get the offense back in somewhat of a rhythm, and Sean Payton proved to be that guy. And known as though the team didn't start out well, they started off one and five, and they ripped off five wins in a row, being one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. So once again, both organizations got the coaches they needed to lead their teams. No doubt. Now, I want to get into that in a moment. One last thing about D'Amico. You, you bring up how you coached with him. So obviously you saw what a leader he was as a player, but you had a different insight into him when you talk about that coaching, because he was a young coach at that point. Mm -hmm. What did you see there that 
made you think, okay, he's clearly got a few. I mean, you probably thought that anyways, but just from the coaching side of things, what kind of emboldened that idea that, man, this guy's going to be a success? Well, it goes back to our playing days. Obviously, Miko being a Mike linebacker, that's kind of the leader of the defense. And you just saw it then, how guys kind of gravitated towards him, his player-to-player uh, -player approach. And he was one of those guys that knew the playbook up and down. And watching him with San Francisco, it was great. It was almost like seeing that same guy, but just in a different role. When you look at the development of Fred Warner, who's out there in San Francisco, mm -hmm. a lot of that credit has to go to D'Amico because D'Amico could relate to what Fred Warner was going through as a young Mike linebacker, both on and off the field, and his ability to teach. That, that's a valuable asset to have because if you look up the coach in the Webster Dictionary, the first word in defining coach should be teacher. And there's a lot of coaches out there, but they all can't teach. And you're right. just having that that peer-to-peer -peer relationship with your players. It is something I have to tell you in my experience in NFL as a, as a coach and as a player, most coaches don't subscribe to because the idea is that, you know, at some point you have to cut a player. So you have to start with making sure that there is not a big relationship or tie to that particular player. D'Amico is the total opposite. Those guys love him. And that's why you see, you know, game in and game out, those Texan players are not just playing for one another. They're not just playing for the city. They're playing for their head coach. You brought him up, man. Russell Wilson, he's playing really well. 20 touchdowns, just four picks, completing 68% of his passes. What the heck is different about Russell this year versus the Russell Wilson the Texans saw last year in week two, which he got the win. They beat the Texans, but he's not – not the guy now that he was then. What's different? Is it purely just the coaching? I mean, what's changed? It's Russell getting back to, to Russell. Uh, when he came here and Nathaniel Hackett took over, Russ picked up some weight because he was thinking, okay, well, I'm getting older. I'm going to take some hits, so I have to bulk up a little. But to me, that took Russ out of the game that we kind of known him to be as far as that quarterback playing in Seattle, a guy that can get outside the pocket now. He's not that same guy and all, 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 you know, both of you and I know as you get older, you change and you have to evolve, but he dropped some weight and he said, well, I'm going to try to get back to the old Russell Wilson. When the, last year, when there were opportunities for Russell to scramble, he didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Now he's saying, well, the holes are going to open up based on the rush lanes. I'm just going to take what the defense gives me and try to extend plays. So he's making better plays as far as using his feet to extend drives. And Russell has always been a cerebral quarterback. When you look at mm -hmm. his ball placement, his accuracy, those things have always been there. And I see it with a lot of young quarterbacks who come into the league who are considered to be that dual threat quarterback where they're trying to prove to everyone that they can be that statuesque quarterback. And what I say to that is just like, don't worry about that. Do you. Your yeah. athleticism got you to the league, puts you in a position that you're in. Don't abandon that. That's why when I look at C.J. Stroud, he reminds me of those early Seattle days with Russell Wilson, the way that he loses ground to gain ground, to break, get outside the pocket against those edge rushers and just how he manipulates the pocket. The one thing I do, I don't fixate so much on the guy's arm because every year we hear about arm talent. Right. The first thing when I watch C.J., my eyes go to his feet, right? Because I feel as though your, your feet, make your better quarterback running and throwing the ball. So he has exceptional feet. 
And that's why when I look at both CJ now and what Russell was before and what Russell was trying to bring back to this Broncos uh, offense, it's that footwork. And those are things that are important. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Don't know how much you got to see of the Texans game this last Sunday, but CJ Stroud had to move around quite a bit inside the pocket, outside the pocket, and his footwork was really impressive. I mean, he was under duress for much of the day, but didn't throw a pick, played pretty darn well. And his footwork, like you mentioned, we've heard others, Steve Smith Sr. brought it up in the pre-draft process. We've heard from James Palmer out there in Denver as well with the NFL Network. He's brought up how many people were were so impressed with that footwork, but it really kind of came to the fore last weekend. And at times, he'll be judicious and he will run with the ball, but he's not just doing it every single time or, or, or really, really frequently, but he's, he's smart about it. Kind of like what we're, we're hearing from you about Russell Wilson, isn't he? Yeah, he, he is. And I watched that Jacksonville game and he did a great job, you know, moving and sliding in the pocket, giving his receivers an opportunity to get open. And they did a great job for him. Just not just running around and just stopping. Like we see most wide receivers do. They continue to work to get to that second and that third progression route. And for me, when I look at some of the decision makings that CJ is making right now, it, it has to kind of remind you of what Patrick Mahomes is. Mahomes is always making those off-schedule plays. And usually mm -hmm. when you see a quarterback start to scramble, the idea is that he's scrambling to run. Last week against Jacksonville, he was scrambling to buy time so the wide yeah. receiver can get open. Like he was scrambling to his left and he did this kind of like pirouette move. And then Tank Dell will say, well, listen, I'm not going to keep running. I'm just going to stop here and give him a target to throw. And he found him right inside the end zone. That's why the Texans chemistry right now offensively is off the charts. All right. Tell me more about this chemistry that Wilson has with his pass catchers, not just his receivers, but tight ends and so on and so forth. What's he doing well? And what are they, what are they bringing out of him? That's kind of made this offense start clicking and start winning ball games five in a row. That's, that's not easy to do. No, it's not easy to do. And the, the same thing that's happening in Houston with C.J. Stroud and his wide receivers, now we're starting to see that evolution and that adaptation come together with the Broncos and their wide receivers. Last year, I didn't see a lot of receivers working to get open. It was usually if the rot was at five or ten yards, they ran that route, they stopped, they saw the quarterback scramble, and they just flashed their hands. You can't do that anymore. I mean, defensive players are so much better now than they were when I play. So you have to work to get open, constantly moving, because you know you have a quarterback that can get you the ball. There was a pass that Russell threw to Adam Trotman, the tight end, and it was first ruled out of bounds. But Trotman made a, a great catch, but Russell put the ball where only his guy can make you know, the reception. And that's kind of been the difference with this team. Everyone now working together, one common goal. And I know it sounds crazy because you think, this is what you should do anyway. No, when, when you are one in five, you start feeling sorry for yourself. You start yeah. you know, thinking about, man, I messed up here and I messed up there. And this is a mental game. It's more mental than it is physical. But now the mental aspect is now changing for the Denver Broncos team. And where they didn't have confidence before, they have a lot of confidence now. It really is wild. I mean, mid-October, you look at that that team and you say, okay, well, you're gonna play them in December. That's that's a W because they're they're gonna yeah. fold up, they're gonna fold up their tents and they'll be done. Russ is finished, and they have done the exact opposite. We're talking with Nick Ferguson, longtime NFL safety, played 10 years in the league from 2000 through 2009, finished up here with the Houston Texans, played for the Broncos as well as the Jets. Nick, 
What about the run game? How much is that helping things out? How much is it not helping? What have you seen there in, in on the ground in Denver? Well, they say that a run game is a quarterback's best friend, and it is true. Down in Houston, you got Devin Singletary, who's been, I guess, a workhorse for you guys, and that outlet pass. So when you look at what the Broncos are doing and Sean Payton is trying to deploy, he's trying to deploy that same type of philosophy. Use your backs, hand the ball off. And I know there's this idea in the NFL, just run the ball. See, I don't, I don't subscribe to that because just running the ball is not uh, a solution. You have to be creative in how you choose to run the ball. Last week against the Cleveland Browns, uh, a tough defense, one of the top defense yeah. in the NFL, they ran the ball. They found success. So they found kind of holes and weaknesses in the defense, and they used to – they tried to exploit them and exploit them. They did. And you have, you know, three running backs. Three running backs who have a different style of running that you can can the ball up to. So Marjorie P. Ryan has been great as an outlet pass catcher for Russell Wilson. You also look at Javante. You look at uh, Jaqu ja Jaquan McMillan. Uh, excuse me, not Jaquan McMillan. Uh, but – you, you look at these running backs and they're able to put the ball in their hands and allow them to matriculate the ball down, down the field. So it's exceptional uh, a group of running backs that they have. All right. Over on the other side of the ball, the defense, Nick is 29th in the NFL and points per game allowed. So they're, they're struggling in there. They're, they're giving up about 25 plus. What are you seeing from them? You, you don't have a bad defense and still win five games in a row. What's going well for them? What are some kind of spots that the Texans might be able to exploit, you think? Well, the thing that's going well for the Broncos' defense is they're now starting to play like a cohesive unit. Uh, obviously, everyone goes back to that Miami Dolphins game where the Dolphins put up 70 points. It's not that same team. Yeah. Some of the issues that were plaguing them before, they've now fixed. And this is a more aggressive defense. When you watch them play, you got guys running sideline to sideline, you know, Alex Singleton, who is the team's leading tackler for the second year in a row, that's the guy that kind of the straw that stirs the drink. That's the guy that kind of gets everything going because he is that tone setter for, for the defense. So now they're playing together as a unit. Communication has gotten so much better than it was in that Miami Dolphins game and early in the season. So those are some of the things that have definitely helped this team. But the biggest thing is turnovers. Early in the season, they were not getting turnovers. They were not getting those 50-50 balls. Now they're getting 50-50 balls. And this is how crazy it's been for them. I mean, the Browns put their tight end at the quarterback position for someone, someone like a quarterback sneak. He fumbles the ball, and they get they recover that fumble. Early on in the season, they were not making those types of plays. The ball was, was bouncing in their way. So that's something that has gone well for them. If you're saying, okay, well, where have they needed to show up? It's on their run defense. We've seen teams being able to run on the Broncos defense. But here's the thing. Last week against the Browns, they did a great job against Ford and Kareem Hunt. But if you design, and I know Coach Slow is going to find a way to design and scheme some run plays to get Devin Singletary uh, involved in an offense from a run game standpoint, maybe he may be able to find some room. You know, the Jaguars have a really good run defense and the Texans ran into that and, and didn't have too much success. But the two previous weeks, they get 100 yards out of Devin Singletary each time going against weaker run defenses, you know, statistically speaking. So it stands to reason, looks like the Texans have a chance to get things going because Damian Pierce has gotten integrated back into the mix as well. 
So it's it's a nice nice combo. You saw some of Damian Pierce last year in Denver yeah. and what he could do as a rookie. Well, yeah, I mean, when you have dynamic backs like the Texans have, the idea is to find ways to set them up perfectly. Coach Slowick has done a great job thus far. I'm sure he's going to use those guys in a multitude of different ways. And we saw last week against Jacksonville, the screen game was working. That was one of the go-tos and kind of a stress reliever for, you know, C.J. Stroud, uh, not allowing him to kind of, or forcing him into making a mistake, just dump the ball off to Devin Singletary and let him do the work. So I'm sure he's going to uh, dial up a couple of things. And once again, I, I was coaching with Coach Slow in San Francisco. He spent a lot of time around Kyle Shanahan and looking at how Kyle has used CMC. I'm sure that Coach Slow is looking to do the same thing with his running backs. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, like you mentioned, you coached with Slowick a little bit there in San Francisco. You you practiced against that Shanahan-Kubiak offense all those years as a player in Denver and Houston. We give D'Amico Ryans a lot of credit for the success, and yes, he has been mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for this franchise, but also helping things out. How big a deal do you think Bobby Slowick's offense has been for this team? It, it's uh, it's a huge uh, help for the team, but more importantly, defense. When, when your offense can move the ball ball down the field, you know, they, they can sustain the drive, two-minute drive, four-minute drive. It helps out your defense. It keeps mm-hmm. them on the sideline. It keeps them fresh. So when they go out there to get opposing offense, those guys like Will Anderson, they, they can come off the edge. They can really get after uh, the quarterback. And then knowing as though, okay, if you start the trail and you, and you look at the games that the Texans have played this season, you know, there have been moments that where the Texans have been ahead. There are moments that they've been behind, but they've been able to to that game. I mean, when you look at the Jacksonville game, right, it, it was one of those games where whatever team had the ball last was probably going to win the ball game. The Texans had the ball. They were moving down the field, but it was just that sack on C.J. Stroud that kind of took him out of field goal range. Mm-hmm. If he's not he's that sack, now they move the ball down in field goal range, and then now they kick the game winning field goal. This is one of those things and evolutions that you're seeing with this offense that you you really don't see. And, and that's been an extraordinary thing. You have a rookie head coach, you have a rookie offensive coordinator, and you have a rookie quarterback. They're not supposed to be where they are right now. Yeah. They're not. So they're shocking a lot of people, but people around the league are starting to get over the initial shock and say, you know what? It's time to take this this team serious, and they can play some real good football. And for a real good stretch of that, at least six, seven games, you had a rookie center in Jarrett Patterson. And then on top of that, you've had a rookie wide receiver, Tank Dell, doing what he's doing. Rookie wide receivers don't usually have the success that a guy like Dell is having. As a former defensive back, how much of a headache is it knowing that that guy's out there, knowing that Nico Collins, who's big, mm-hmm. fast, plays with a real controlled violence, that you got tight end Dalton Schultz in there, a veteran like Robert Woods, and Noah Brown might might or might not be back, but he's had a couple 150-yard games. What's it like as a DB knowing that there's all those threats of different variety that you got to face? It's a big headache, and I don't think they build a, a, a created a bigger aspirin that you can take uh, trying to defend <laughs> all those guys. But that's the thing. When, when you have a rookie quarterback, and don't get me wrong, C.J. Stroud was very talented. I thought he was coming out of Ohio State, but you have to put pieces around him. And having a veteran guy like Robert Woods to kind of lead that wide receiving core, it is is so important. I mean, you mentioned Nico Collins, who is extraordinary wide receiver, and you have Dalton Schultz at your tight end, Andrew Beck, who played here, tight end with the Broncos. But you look at Tank Dell. I mean, the chemistry that those two 
have, have created over the past couple of weeks has been extraordinary. And when I when I watch film on this team, the first thing I think about, I go back and I say, well, you got Coach Slowick who spent time in San Francisco. Who does Tank Dale remind me of based on how he moves around and how they get him involved in the offense? I immediately go to Debo Samuels. Now, they're not putting him in the backfield, right? right? They're moving him around to set him up so both he and C.J. Stroud can complete some of those passes. There's a lot of rhythmic passes, and that's what you want to do for your quarterback. You don't want to stress him out. You don't want to make things difficult because the game is already tough within itself. Try to get him into a rhythm, find him a go-to guy, a go-to route, and then start matriculating the ball down the field. And that chemistry, once again, it's so important. If there was a such thing as uh, a safety net for C.J. Stroud, when in tight situations, he's going to look for Tank Dell. That's not yeah. to say that uh, none of the other wide receivers have developed their chemistry, but everyone has a go-to person, and Tank Dell has become that for C.J. Stroud. It's been so much fun to watch, Nick. It seems like almost every pass C.J. Stroud throws, it's yeah. thrown just in front of the guy so that he doesn't have to break stride, and he's got some space. And when you've got space and you're going at, at near full speed, Dangerous things are going to happen in a good way for your offense, aren't they, Nick Ferguson? Yeah, absolutely. Once again, this is the thing that makes C.J. Stroud such a great quarterback. And I know individuals have tossed his name out as far as uh, being an MVP. And he's playing in that that particular way, especially for a young guy, because a lot of things that he's doing, Drew, usually you do in your second and maybe in your third year. He's doing them in his first year. Yeah. So I got to give him a lot of credit. Obviously, you get the coaching staff a lot of credit. But I got to give the player a lot of credit because what you're talking about is real important because sometimes rookie quarterbacks, they want to they, they want to show how strong their arms are. So if a guy's running a shallow route, they're trying to zip that ball in. He's throwing with a lot of touch. And you can tell by his pregame warmups that, you know, those touch passes are so important. I saw him warming up with the basketball looking like he's shooting free throws. You really don't see that in today's NFL with a lot of quarterbacks, but a lot of those kind of pregame rituals are now showing up in the game. Nick Ferguson, we appreciate the time. It's always great to talk with you. So much fun is being had in Denver and in Houston. Happy times here again for both those football teams. We will tee it up and see these guys square off at noon Sunday inside NRG Stadium. But Nick Ferguson, thanks so much for the time, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always cool talking with Nick Ferguson. He's one of my favorite Texans that I ever covered. He was one of the first Texans that I talked with in the locker room. He was always really cool to chit-chat with. He wore the Darth Vader mask, like I mentioned. He did a What's in Your Locker video, which was a whole hell of a lot of fun. I remember my nephews, they were little guys at the time, probably around eight, nine years old. That was their favorite video of the Houston Texans for a good long while. Turning the page. Phil Milani, he's another guy I love talking with. He works for the Denver Broncos, does basically what I do out there for them. And he's been with Denver for quite a long time, better part of the last decade, really, and longer. And Phil has a unique insight into what's going on with the Denver Broncos. They're good again, too. Winners of five straight, like we talked about with Nick Ferguson. Here is my conversation with Phil. Phil, when, whenever 
I talk about you with others. I just kind of say he basically does what I do, but for the Broncos, you know, you can, yeah. you can write, you can do TV, you produce, you can do radio, you can do it all. I mean, you podcast. What's your official title though? Just so we're all clear. I'm like a re- reporter producer, I guess yeah. it would be my uh, official title, but yeah, I, I'm kind of like the Drew of the Broncos, except I'm not quite as funny. No, 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 no. I'm the Phil of the Texans. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> no. you, you've been there. You've been there a while. What's the, what was the first year you started? 2013. And yep. so okay. two of my first three years, the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. I was <laughs> like, it's easy. <laughs> how it is every year, right? <laughs> I can get used to this. Uh, yeah. So a little bit of a Peyton Manning effect there. Not bad. Not bad. Well, it's funny when I look at this matchup coming up Sunday at noon here at NRG Stadium. In a lot of ways, it's like looking in the mirror. It's a team with a new head coach. You've got quarterbacks who are playing really, really well, have kind of similar statistics, can elude the pocket, but still look downfield to throw most of the time. They're both playing at a really, really high level. You've got opportunistic defenses, pretty good on the turnover ratio. I think you guys are. I can't look, but the Texans are top 10-ish. I know for sure, but you guys have peeled off five wins in a row. Texans had a hiccup last week. But since week three, they've been playing excellent football. There's a lot of similarities in this matchup. Let's start with a quarterback, though. Russell Wilson, this is not the Russell Wilson that the Texans saw in week two of the 2022 season. Looks like the old guy that uh, was one of the tops in, in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, this offseason, he was really dedicated, and he came back like 15 pounds lighter. And that's really made a big difference. Uh, he, he, You know, you mentioned eluding the pass rush there. He's getting away from guys that last year it would have been a 10 yard sack. You know, mm. uh, last week, Miles Garrett, you know, leading the NFL in sacks is chasing him around and he can't quite on one play, he can't quite get to Russ and Russ is heading downfield and taking off. So, yeah, he, he looks like vintage Russ, really. Uh, he's making plays, he's leading fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of what Russ likes to do is sort of that, what they call that second act where, the first play, you know, the timing, it's not right, whatever. Then he takes off, he's scrambling all around, and then, boom, it's like a 30-yard play downfield. So, yeah, this is the rust that the Broncos thought that they were trading for. You know, you and I touched on this as we were getting ready and setting this whole interview up, but the vibes in the building, I imagine, are just night and day what you've been through over the last, what, seven years, over the saying last five weeks versus the the previous seven years, right? Totally. I mean, it's like, I'm like, where, what's this feeling? Like, I don't like, I do like a post game show for the Broncos and I'm like, wait, how do you do the wins again? You know, uh, <laughs> it's taking a little bit of time to adjust to this, but you can certainly feel it in this locker room. There's a lot of confidence, you know, everybody's in a good mood. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that if you're not really a Broncos fan or paying attention, maybe the only thing that you know about this team is that they give up 70 points to the Dolphins at the beginning of this year, you know? And uh, since that point, though, this team has really changed things around uh, during this five-game winning streak. They've beaten some really good teams. You know, they beat the Chiefs, they beat the Bills, they beat the Vikings, and then last week they beat the Browns. So it's not like they're just uh, beating, you know, uh, a, a, lot, a bunch of teams with losing records. I mean, they're getting it done against some of the top teams in the NFL. And uh, there's a lot of confidence that comes with doing that. And I think right now it really feels like the Broncos have turned a page, turned a corner. Yeah, you bring up that 70-point game. That's really, if you look at the, t- the totality, that's, that's an outlier now. And oh, if you yeah. think, 
you take that game out and you take about then you if you're on the other end you take out the game in which the broncos only allowed nine points you use those you average the rest of those they're only giving up around 21 22 per i know it's officially the whole season they're at 25 but you take out those two it's a pretty solid defense it's really good at getting takeaways what is the strength in your mind of what they're doing defensively that's that's kind of caused some of the success over the last five? Well, I think at the beginning of the season, they had a couple of veteran pass rushers that were in the building, uh, Randy Gregory, Frank Clark, uh, and they decided that they were going to move on from both of those guys and let the younger pass rushers uh, give them some confidence, give them some more snaps out there. And it's really paid off because uh, young guys like Baron Browning, Jonathan Cooper, Nick Benito, off the edge. They've really come to life here over this five-game winning streak, and they've done a great job getting pressure on the quarterback, and that's led to some of these turnovers. And uh, they've had 15 over uh, the last four games here. So that's like uh, the most turnovers they've forced in in four-game stretch since 1989. So uh, they've really been taking it away. Some of it's been lucky, but some of it's been like the mindset. Like they, they're they just like ripping at balls. They're playing really aggressive football. And uh, definitely, I think those outside linebackers, those pass rushers, they've really been the difference here. Uh, of course, the stars on the defense are Pat Sertan and Justin Simmons in the secondary. But really, uh, the difference from the beginning of the year to right now, I think it's been that that outside pass rush. Yeah, you brought up Simmons. I mean, how how valuable is that guy having him at the back end? Yeah, he didn't play in that Miami game when they gave up 70 points. He was injured in that one. And, uh, you know, when he comes back, he, you know, he's just sort of that leader. He gets everybody on the same page. Uh, when he does his press conferences, he probably says the word communication like 15 times, you know, and you kind of roll your eyes, you know, every time he says it, cause it's kind of a joke now, but it, it is a big deal where he, he's the guy who you feel confident with him back there. And he's sort of that center fielder type of safety where he's a ball hawk. He's just reading the quarterback's eyes. And, uh, you know, he's been getting interceptions, uh, you know, the last couple of years here at, at a really high rate. All right, we're ping-ponging around here. Let's go back to the offensive side, some of the pass catchers that are doing good things for Russell Wilson. You know, I'm an SMU Mustang, so Cortland Sutton, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, he's he's looking like the Cortland Sutton that we knew and, and uh, you know, knew, knew yeah, all about the last few years. Yeah, what's going yeah. on there? Well, he tore his ACL in 2020, and the last couple of years, it's taken him some time to – get that explosiveness back and then also sort of just trusting his his body too, you know, uh, the mental aspect of coming back from that injury. And uh, I I don't know what's gotten into him here, but uh, he's turned into a touchdown machine. I'm not sure if it's like a Sean Payton type of thing where he just has this confidence about him now, but he's making a lot of contested catches um, he's never been that guy who's been like a super impressive route runner or, or a guy who's like wide open often, but he's that bigger body type of guy that high points the ball, wins a lot of jump balls, makes a lot of contested catches. And he's developed this chemistry with Russell Wilson where, hey, if it's a big third down or they're in the red zone, 
that's his go-to guy. That's a guy that he trusts is going to come down with the ball. And uh, I think it's led to eight touchdowns this season. So he's really uh, been, been a, a different kind of player than the Broncos have seen uh, the last three years. What are you seeing from the run game there? Oh, that's that's really it. Really, all starts for this offense. Uh, this this last off season, they went out and got Mike McGlinchey, Ben Powers. They really reinforced that offensive line, and right now they're really healthy, and they've been able to play a lot of football to all five of them together, and that's like a, a really a cohesive unit, and it's really uh, led to a, a strong running game here. Javante Williams. He tore his ACL last year, but it didn't take him that long to come back. I mean, he didn't miss a game this year uh, and really hit the ground running. He's the, uh, sort of that combo back where he, he's he got some speed, but he's got that power too. So uh, it really starts with the Broncos trying to establish the running game uh, with, with Javante Williams. And then uh, they have Samaj Pirine that they brought in this uh, last offseason. He's a bruiser. I mean, I, I've not met a running back who looks the way he does, you know, uh, he's just a huge guy. There's like this story about him. And when he was at Oklahoma, where this woman was trying to change uh, her tire, but she didn't have a Jack. And so he just came over and like lifted the car up and she <laughs> changed the tire. So like uh, anytime, anything, Samaje, he does that, that story tends to pop up. So, um, and then they have this undrafted running back, Julio McLaughlin, who's, sort of that speedy kind of guy. And uh, he's a change of pace back that the last couple of weeks, they haven't featured him as much just because they've been playing some really bruising defenses. But uh, when he gets open in space, he, he's got the ability to really take it to the house. So overall, what would you say the Sean Payton effect has been on this team? Confidence. I, I really think that like uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know how they started to believe, but like there was just such a change in the way that this team carries itself. I really think they've adopted his personality like more than anything. And, uh, you know, this training camp that they went through was uh, much more difficult than they have gone through in the last uh, couple of years around here it really sort of set the tone set a message that hey uh, we're gonna work we're gonna roll up our sleeves here we're gonna get after it and I think it took a little bit of time at the start of this season for everybody to buy in but once they started winning some of these games once they started seeing uh, their hard work pay off now they're like all in and they've got this confidence and they play a really a physical style of football. And I think that that comes from Sean too. Uh, the defense, you know, we mentioned the turnovers. They're just like a, conf a confident bunch right now. And uh, I think anytime you win five games in a row, you sort of feel like that. And uh, it's been a good role for this team. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned off the top here, these are two teams in very similar situations here where playing with a lot of confidence and uh, you know, they're right neck and neck there for fighting for that wild card spot. Yeah. This is a game. I don't think many people externally, maybe even internally had circled once this, the schedule came out, but here we are, it's going to be December oh. Texans and Broncos are, you know, one of them, both of them could be in the playoffs. It's not out of the realm of possibility. This is a massive game, Phil. It's so much fun seeing CJ Stroud and what yeah. he's been able to do for you guys. I mean, it's uh, it's really been amazing to see just uh, what he's second in the league in passing yards, uh, just five interceptions, I think, this season. So, I mean, for a rookie to come in there, I mean, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, you know, externally here. I, you know, I like seeing the young guys 
do well around the league. And just uh, uh, same with the Broncos, just a complete culture change and everything uh, with the Texans. It, it should be an exciting game. Uh, and you mentioned the seven years here with the Broncos, a lot of losing. Just to be talking about a meaningful matchup in December, that's <laughs> exciting for us here. That used to be every single year for you guys. I mean, going back to the 70s. So, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's good to see winning football again there in Denver and here in Houston. Phil, I always enjoy talking with you. I look forward to seeing you this Sunday and then again in February at the Combine for a much longer sit-down like we always have yes. there in the media center. But it's good to see you, my friend, and uh, I appreciate you taking some time out for me. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Always appreciate catching up. Okie doke, we sure do appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so it hits that inbox as quickly as possible every single Wednesday. Couldn't do it without you. We do it because of you. So chime in at Doherty Drew if you got any questions, and we'll do this again next week. Thanks to John. Thanks to Phil Milani. Thanks to Nick Ferguson. And, of course, thank you to the great Will Anderson for doing that interview.